0: As you find your way there, uh, we, uh, we're excited about what's coming up. Next week is um, January 8th, and we're going to make that uh, theme Sunday. Uh, we're going to be unveiling the new theme for 2017. And um, I know the church has had a theme in the past. In fact, this year's theme was keeping yourselves in the love of, of, of God. And the way it was explained to me is uh, Pastor Peslak would preach a couple of sermons on the topic and then use that as a title slide for the screen The rest of the year. Uh, I'm going to use the idea of a theme Sunday a little bit different. Uh, My goal moving forward is to take the theme and let that be uh, the direction of the church for that year in a big way, and it's going to be a push in a big way. So, with that said, next week is going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. If you're in church, we're going to have a couple of uh, gifts to give you to take home with you to help you uh, keep the theme in front of you all year long and um we're going to be preaching obviously a sermon on the topic and then we will be preaching a series of sermons on that topic uh, all throughout the year not every sunday will be on the theme but uh, uh there will be uh, it will be spread abroad or scattered throughout the year so really encourage you to be in your place it's top secret what it is top secret there's only a select few that know i don't even know if my wife knows do you know what it is my wife knows what it is she was like uh, Samson's bride. She she drug it out of me. Um, I couldn't keep it from her. Uh, not that she's as conniving as that, though. Amen. Uh, but uh, just a select few know, and they have been sworn to secrecy. You cannot drag it out of us with wild horses. Amen. And so uh, you have to be here next Sunday to find out. And then next Sunday night, next Sunday night, we're going to be looking at uh Vision Sunday. We're going to Uh, uh, lay out the staff's plan, the staff and deacons' plan for the church uh, for 2017. I believe that God wants us to grow, and that growth isn't just a numerical growth, it's a spiritual growth. And so 2017 ought to be a year of spiritual growth for you. And I'll just say this, uh, and I'm not ashamed of this stance at all, uh, God did not leave us here to uh, just be few in number and occupied till He comes. He called us here to attack the gates of hell. Amen. And so the church is to grow in number as well. And if we're doing our part and loving the Lord and uh, we're not making any compromises along the way. And we're providing a contrast to the world. Uh, then there ought to be growth here. And so we're going to lay out how to do that. You want to be here. We're going to go over a lot of programs for men, programs for women, programs for children, programs for teenagers. And uh, programs for visitation and growth, but that will be a week from this Sunday at 6 p.m. So be here for that. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look, be looking at the first four verses. We will read them responsively. I'll begin the reading of verse 1. We'll read together verses 2 and 4. The Bible says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse 2 together. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest, And as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter to my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise... And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Rest for Your Soul. Rest for Your Soul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for giving us strength to wake up this morning on this first day of 2017 and get uh, get dressed and, and get in our vehicles and make our way, Lord, to your house. I can't think of a place to be day of the year than here in the house of the Lord with the people of God around the word of God. And so I pray today this time would not be wasted, but that it would be profitable. And Lord, as we look in your word, I pray our hearts would be to understand it and then to go forth and live it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We live in a time where sleep is overrated and exhaustion is glorified, glorified, it seems like every new device comes out is supposed to free up more time and make your life easier. But what happens is that now we don't spend four or five hours preparing dinner. We warm it up in the microwave and then we fill our schedule up with other things. Uh, and so um, uh, such is life. Sleep is overrated and exhaustion is glorified. The less sleep you get, the better off you are. There was a Princeton Seminary professor back in the 1800s by the name of Edwin Roberts. And he said that he one time heard a pastor conclude the service with this announcement. He said, I am not going to take a vacation this summer because the devil never does. The devil never does. This Princeton professor went home and he reread the Gospels. And what he found was Jesus' attitude towards rest was that in three years of active ministry, there were ten periods of retirement mentioned. This was in addition to the nightly rest and the Sabbath rest. And then uh, this Princeton professor concluded with this statement that I will make to you. Whose example are you following? Are you following the devil's example of never resting? Or are you following the Lord's example, Jesus' example of resting? The attitude is that the harder I work and the longer I go, the better I am and the more spiritual I am. I remember being a Bible college student and um, it took me, uh, I rushed through my degree. I crammed a four-year degree in five years. Amen? Um, I worked a -a 40-hour-a-week job from my sophomore year through both junior years and then my senior year. And that 40-hour-a-week uh, job was an hour from the campus. I was also involved on um, a bus route and then a chapel church on the weekends, uh, which was pretty much the whole weekend. It consumed the whole thing. And I think I probably averaged somewhere between five and six hours of sleep a night. Uh, some some school years were less than that, uh, but probably an average of five or six hours a night. And I remember there being this attitude that, permeated that Bible college, that the less sleep you got, the more spiritual you were. The more spiritual you were. And I'm here to say that that attitude is wrong. It's wrong. There are plenty of people that burn the candle at both ends for long periods of time, and it either ends up costing them their life, or it ends up costing them their quality of life. Their quality of life. That's not God's intention. It's not God's intention for you to burn the candle at both ends for long, long periods of time. Now, let me say up front that I understand that there are seasons where you're going to work harder than others. There are seasons where you're not going to get a whole lot of sleep. How many mamas do we have in here this morning? When that child's born, forget it. <laughs> you're going to go through a period of time where sleep is a... Precious commodity you don't get a lot of. Um, my mom um, raised seven children. I'm the oldest of seven. The youngest of the seven were twins. And I thought for a while my mother was going to go insane. And I'm not kidding with that statement. There were times where her sanity was uh, being, could have been called into question. There is the other end of the perspective on this, or the other end of the spectrum, rather, and that's laziness. Laziness. My friend, you don't deserve to rest if you're not willing to work. Rest is for those who labor hard. The Bible tells us if a man does not work, neither should he eat. The Bible talks about laboring hard. Laboring hard. Some people live their life to play video games. And I'm not talking about 15-year-old teenagers. I'm talking about adults that do it at leisure. At leisure. They live in mama's basement, and they play video games, and they eat Cheetos, and they surf the internet, and they collect a welfare check. That's laziness. That's laziness. Ronald Reagan said that uh, welfare is meant to be a trampoline, not a hammock. Right? I'm all for the welfare system if it helps people get back on their feet. I am not for the welfare system if it, if it is holding well-bodied, capable working people and just supporting them through life. God wants you to work. But God does not want you to work yourself to death. And God does not want you to work yourself to a place of exhaustion. And uh, and in a place of... Uh... Some of you here today, you're not physically exhausted, but you are emotionally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. You go through life and you carry heavy burdens in your mind. Some of you are not necessarily emotionally exhausted, but you're relationally exhausted. There's a strained relationship or you're spiritually exhausted, you're spiritually fatigued. This morning, by way of introduction, I'd like to pose this question, what is rest? What is rest? Is it taking a nap? Well, that's part of it. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. I would say this, that taking a nap is part of rest, but rest is more than just taking a nap. Is rest being entertained? Is it being entertained? Um, How many of you know what amusement means? Amusement means to not think. Muse means to think, the letter A means not, not think. You go to an amusement park, the idea is that you don't think while you're there. You just live on adrenaline. How many of you here enjoy a good roller coaster? you see your hand? How many of you here used to enjoy a good roller coaster, you just don't have the stomach for it anymore? Okay, uh, I've, I've got to work back up to that. My children will soon be teenagers and I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be drug on roller coaster rides. When I was a teenager, there was no ride I wouldn't ride. The last time I went to amusement park, there were a couple of rides that said, I will never, I will never get back on that ride. Uh, but is it being entertained? And to that I'd say, again, it's part of it, but it's not all of it. There is nothing wrong with, after you've put in a good, solid day work, sitting down and watching clean, and I do emphasize clean, wholesome, 30-minute television program, if there are those out there. There's nothing wrong with catching in a sports game on TV here and there. There's nothing wrong with that if uh, you have labored hard. That is part of what rest is, but it's not all of what rest is. Is rest taking a family vacation? And in that I'd say it depends on how old your children are. If your children are little, you get back from a vacation and you need a vacation from your vacation. How many you been there? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, you, you drive hours and hours and hours to get to a location and then you drive hours and hours at home and you're, oh, I'm, I'm exhausted and I gotta go back to work. I remember as a boy with those twin brothers that were, um, just babies. I think they were probably 15 or 16 months. We, uh, we went from, um, uh, Maryland out to Michigan. Long drive. And, uh, there were so many of us that my dad had found this, shuttle van that was used at midway airport and that was our family vehicle that's how we got around it was uh, bucket seats i think there were 12 or 13 of them in there and that was our family vehicle i remember uh, on the way back uh, my little brother screaming and crying for six hours non-stop and you know my dad he's a stubborn man my dad said to my mom he said sherry you're not going to pick him up he's being stubborn there's nothing wrong with him you're going to let him cry that stubbornness out of him. And I thought to my dad, I said, please, let him pick, let her pick him up. This is miserable. But a good vacation where you get away and you actually do get some rest, while that is part of what rest is, it's not all of what rest is. Spiritual rest is so much more than taking a nap. It's so much more uh, than being entertained. It's so much more... Then a family vacation. Today I'd like for us to look at four thoughts about finding rest for your soul. Number one, notice first, the precedent given to rest. The precedent given to rest. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 4 with me there. It says, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. God did rest the seventh day from all his works in Genesis chapter 2 in verse 2 we get the account of that the bible says in on the seventh day god ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had made. And i got to tell you that as a small uh, young man, as a teenager, and even as a young adult, I would read this account of the uh, days of creation and I would ask myself, if God is omnipotent, if God is all-powerful, why did he need to rest? And here's the answer to that question. He did it. He did it. Well, then why did God make such a big deal Out of resting on the seventh day. You say six, you see six days, he stepped out on nothing and really in just a few short sentences spread out over six days, he created everything in nature that we see with just his words. Then on that sixth day, he took a leisurely stroll down to this planet he had created and with his hands, he grabbed up some dust and he formed a man. Then he breathed into his body the breath of life and then just a short time later he put Adam to sleep and he took a rib out of Adam's side and he created the first female with his hands you say is this why was God so exhausted for making the first man and first woman that he needed to rest on the seventh day and the answer is no no God is all powerful God does not need to rest well then why did he Because God was trying to tell you and I that we need to rest. We need to rest. He was making a big deal out of it right from the beginning. Take your Bibles with me over, if you would, to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Hold your place in Hebrews 4. We're going to be in Exodus and then one passage in Leviticus here. Exodus chapter 20, and we see that this is actually part of the 10 commandments that we are to rest. Now, Uh, exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 god takes three verses to talk about the importance of resting to his people the bible says there remember the sabbath day now that word sabbath in the hebrew means seventh so every seven days remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it, uh, thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy strangers uh, that is within thy gate. God was saying, I made you in my image. I know how you function. There needs to be a day that you relax and you do very, very little so that you can retool and you can get yourself back together and to a good place. In the Old Testament, that was Saturday. That was Saturday. Jesus rose again from the dead on Sunday Sunday. And so in the New Testament, that day shifted from Saturday to Sunday, to Sunday. Now, let me just say that uh, I do a whole lot of work on Sunday, amen? It's not physical labor, it's more of a spiritual labor. It's an emotional labor. Uh, my staff works hard on Sunday. Pastor Dave and Pastor Mike they labor hard on Sunday. Miss Rachel labors at the piano on Sunday, and so there uh, many of them are here uh, six days a week. Uh, our staff here uh, many times are here on Saturday. Yes, with the soul winning, but even beyond that, making visits and even sometimes back here in the office doing office work. Uh, I've caught both of the guys here on Saturday in the afternoons or evenings working before. And so um, I have dictated to the staff that their seventh day of rest is Monday. It's Monday. I believe that it's good that they have a day that they can retool and they can get themselves back together. There's a story told about um, a man uh, who's a lumberjack. And he had a very competitive nature, so he challenged another lumberjack to a contest. And the contest was, who can cut down the most trees during the daylight of the day? And so uh, the one man went out in the woods, and man, he, uh, from the uh, second, the, the, the sunrise all the way down to sunset, he chopped and he chopped and he chopped, and he took a very short lunch break. And outside of that lunch break, he chopped and he chopped and he chopped. The com- the competitor, the other man, he took several breaks throughout the day and took a long, extended lunch break. The man who um, took the short break during lunch, he got down to the end of the day and they counted the trees that they had chopped down. The man who had labored the hardest all day long, only taking a short break, he lost. He lost. And in his frustration, he said to the guy taking the breaks, he said, Why is it? Why is it that you won when you took so many breaks? And The man who had taken the breaks, he looked at the man who had labored so hard all day and he said, what you didn't see is that while I took those breaks and I took that extended lunch, the entire time I was sharpening my axe. I was sharpening my axe. What does good biblical rest do for you and I? It sharpens our axe so that we're more effective in life. It sharpens us. Sharpens us. Turn with me over to Exodus chapter 23. Just a couple of pages there over to the right. Exodus chapter 23. And we see that this commandment to rest isn't just given, uh, to, um, uh, to people. God commanded that the ground of the earth be given a time of rest. Exodus chapter 3, 23, verse 10, the Bible says, In six years thou shalt sow thy land and shalt gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year, Thou shalt uh, let, let it rest and lie still, and the poor of thy people may eat. And when they uh, leave, the beast of the, the field shall eat. Uh, and what they leave, the beast of, thy field, of, the, of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with the vineyard and with thy olive yard. God was saying that six years you can grow on your properties, on your lands, but there needs to be a seventh year where the ground is left to lie. Left to lie. By the way, in another passage we won't take time to look at here, God told them in this commandment that that sixth year, the ground would produce triple what it did normally, so that it would provide for them in that year the field was sitting still. Isn't it funny how science catches up with the Bible? Those who study uh, the science of farming, they have learned that if you give a, a field off a seventh year, it will be that much more productive the following year, but if you use that ground year after year after year after year, even if you uh, plant different things on it, eventually you will wear the soil out. God knew what He was talking about. And God said on the seventh year, that ground is to sit and to do nothing. Turn over with me to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, and we'll see uh, what God said would happen if they did not honor this land Sabbath or this land uh, seventh year of rest God had some, a very firm consequence that would come about them if they did not abide by this. God wasn't messing around with this. He said in verse 33, Leviticus 26, and I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lieth desolate and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. Interesting note about this is that uh, the northern kingdom uh, was carried away by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was carried away by the Babylonians for 70 years. 70 years. Does anybody want to guess how long the Judeans, the southern, those of the southern kingdom, does anybody want to guess how long they ignored the, the, the land Sabbath? What is 70 times 7? 490 years. If you studied out for 490 years, they ignored the, the, the land Sabbath and God had them carried away for 70 years. What he was saying is, if you're not going to let my land rest then I will take it away from you and I will give it rest. God was not fooling around. God was not playing games. God said that I rest on the seventh day, you need to rest on the seventh day, and you need to let your land rest on the seventh year. And Christians today that are go, 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 and burn the candle at both ends, and you never take time off to rest, God's saying here in the Word of God that it's wrong. It's wrong. This isn't something that's commonly preached from pulpits, but it's just as much Bible as thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not bear false witness. So we see, number one, there, uh, the, precedent, uh, the, the precedent given to rest. Notice, number two, some pitfalls when we don't rest. Some pitfalls when we don't rest. Take your Bible over to 1 Kings chapter number 19. Here we find the great prophet Elijah who overexerted himself in the service of the Lord. Elijah had uh, prayed and God had ceased to send rain for well over three years. Three and a half years, there was no rain in Israel. There was a drought. There was a uh, a farming disaster. Uh, People were thirsty and water was coveted. Elijah comes back into town and Ahab gets in his face and he says, Are you the one that's troubling Israel? And and Ahab says, it's not me that's troubling Israel, buddy, it's you and your idolatry. He said, listen, I challenge you to a duel between the God of Jehovah and the false God of Baal, and this duel will take place up on Mount Carmel, or Caramel, however you'd say it, uh, up on uh, the, the mount there. And so up the, up the mountain they went, and Elijah called down fire from heaven and God, the, God sent the fire down and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the water down in the trough. I'm sure many of you there know the story and mocked the false prophets of Baal all along. I believe there were a total of 850 false prophets there that day. The people of Israel were the jury and the executioner. They um, they said, "Okay, we'll see which God's the real God." And when Jehovah came through, I believe this is what happened. I believe the mobs or the, the mass of Israelites gathered around those 850 prophets and pinned them to the ground. And Elijah went through and he, had, and he killed every single one of them. He killed all 850 prophets, which was commanded of God for him to do. What a spiritual victory. These false prophets had been destroyed out of the land. But Elijah's work wasn't done. Elijah found himself over to the edge of a cliff and he began to pray for the drought to end. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, exerting himself spiritually. After a long season of prayer, Elijah's servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said to Ahab, he said, get your people and get back to the castle because there is a great storm coming. The Bible tells us that Elijah outran the chariot of 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 Ahab, getting back. All that story can be found. I believe that's First Kings 18. But in chapter 19, we find that Elijah has passed the spiritual victory and is entered into the, the entered into the shadow of discouragement. Can I say here today is that when you see great spiritual victory in your life, oftentimes what's right on the other side of that is the shadow of discouragement. You're jumping up and down. You're leaping for joy over the victory that God's given you. Satan's waiting right there to discourage you. He wants to discourage you. And Satan got Elijah when he was exhausted. Satan got him and Satan had his way with him for a bit. Letter A, notice our problems become exaggerated. Our problems become exaggerated. Look at verses 1 and 2 of First Kings 19. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. With all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, the Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now Jezebel finds out that her prophets are dead. And by the way, Jezebel was really the driving force behind the idolatry in the country. Ahab had his problems, but Ahab was one whipped puppy. He just simply did what his wife told him to do. Ahab was sort of the puppet. And Jezebel really ran the country through her husband there. And she sent a servant to Elijah and said, You will be dead by this time tomorrow. Now Elijah if I could reason with you in your tired state, you just defeated 850 grown men and you're going to run from a woman? One woman? You just prayed the rain that ended a three and a half year drought. You don't believe that God can protect you? What happened here to Elijah? He was exhausted, and he began to exaggerate his problems. You ever been there? Where you're just wore out. His little teeny tiny problem becomes a big deal. You know what the problem is? You don't have any rest for your soul. Let me encourage you to never make life-changing decisions when you're wore out. It's the worst time to make decisions. I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to move across the country. I'm going to quit my job. I'm switching churches. You're wore out? It's not the time you're making those decisions. Your problems get blown out of proportion. Letter B, notice our petitions become laughable. Look at verses 3 and 4 of 1 Kings 19. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am not better than my fathers. I believe that Elijah may have gotten a little conspiratorial here. He went a day's journey into the wilderness, running and running and running and running, after he's had this threat. He tells the servant, he says, you stay here. I wonder if maybe he thought his servant was really working for Jezebel. So he leaves the servant and he runs a day, runs a little bit further, falls down under a juniper tree, and he says, Lord, kill me! I want to die! And I imagine God looking at him and saying, Boy, you are wore out. You are just flat exhausted. You ever been there where you're tired and you're wore out and just what's coming out of your mouth doesn't really make a lot of sense? And the people look at you and they just kind of roll their eyes like, Oh, brother, are you serious right now? Or, they're nice to you and they smile. But inside, they're rolling their eyes. They're thinking, come on now. Quit being such a whiny baby. Quit throwing such a pity party. I'll tell you this morning that if you're wore out, if you're wore out, it it can happen to all of us. But you have to understand that your petitions become laughable. Letter C, notice our pride and our pious attitude become a stumbling block. Elijah there fell asleep under that tree, and I believe he slept a long time. This week I read a story about Spurgeon. He got up with no microphone in a, in a, in a big stadium-type atmosphere, and he preached to 23,000 people. After it was over, he was so exhausted from preaching to such a large crowd he went to bed on Sunday night and he didn't wake up until Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon. Story goes, his wife went in and checked on him all throughout the day Monday and he was just peacefully sleeping. Saw and logs, snoring away, so she just let him be. She let him sleep. Elijah slept and he slept and he slept and when he woke up, there was an angel sitting there by a fire cooking for him. And he ate and he went back to sleep. And he woke up And he ate again, and then he went to the wrong place. He should have gone back, but instead he found himself wandering toward a cave. Look at verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. He was throwing a pity party. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous. Listen to the piousness in his voice the super Christian coming out of him. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, uh, thrown down thine altar and slain thy prophets with the sword and I, even I, only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And God later on in the conversation says to Elijah, he says, no, they haven't. There are three to four hundred men who have not yet bowed the knee. You are not alone. Something else we do when we're tired is that we think we're all alone on an island. And nobody has problems as bad as ours. It's all rough for me and nobody understands. And Elijah found himself in a cave alone, throwing himself a pity party. And my friend, if if any of these things describe where you're at right now, I'm not here to rip your face off. I'm here to tell you that you're exhausted. You need to get some rest. Number three. Number three. The Bible's portrayal of rest. We've seen the precedent given. We've seen some pitfalls when we don't rest. Number three. The Bible's portrayal of rest. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. I hope you held your spot there from where we were at earlier. Hebrews 4 really is the chapter in the Bible that, uh, in the New Testament rather, that talks about rest the most. Letter A, we see physical rest. Look with me at verses ten and eleven. He says this. He says, "For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from him from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example." Of unbelief, now we 'll look at this in a, in a minute later, but the Bible's talking about how that we 've got to cease from our own works to obtain salvation, and we simply have to believe, and when we believe, we obtain spiritual rest. but beyond that, I believe another parallel or another uh, uh, application can be drawn out here that when you labor hard, there is the time of rest. Can I say today that um, I may be by my nature? the laziest man in the room. No, I don't label myself as lazy. I try to work very hard. I try to be the best pastor for you all. I can be. I try to be there for you all when you're going through a hard time. But by my nature, I'm a lazy person. There have been times in my life where I have let laziness get the best of me. Don't sit there with your pious attitude. It's happened to you before too, I'm sure. You know, when I'm lazy... My pillow feels like a rock. It's hard to get good sleep when you've been lazy. But the days that I exert myself and I work hard, boy, that pillow sure is comfortable. Boy, it doesn't take me long to fall asleep. If you're here today, let me say this, is that you need to labor hard, but you need to make sure you have a balance of rest in your life. Letter B, notice emotional rest. Emotional rest. Psalm one. 16 and verse 7 says this, Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. When is it that we become emotionally exhausted or emotionally fatigued? It's when we allow our mind to wander on and work on things that are wrong and that are sinful and we allow the worries and and the struggles of this world to totally engulf our mind. Our mind is a sponge, and we put it under uh, the uh, sea or the, the water, the, the, uh, the, the uh, source there of worry and, and, and negativity, and we allow that to own us. And the psalmist here was saying, he was saying, uh, my soul is weary, my emotional state is weary. Lord, help me to rest in You. Help me to find that refuge in You. In you. Truth be told, worry is a sin. It is a sin to worry. And I've been asked before, what about being concerned? Is it a sin to be concerned? And I said, no. It is not a sin to be concerned, but it is a sin to worry. Let me, if I can, let me draw a line between the two. Worry is when we are preoccupied with things that are totally out of our control. Totally out of our control. You wring your hands about the accident that you might get in tomorrow. You um, you wring your hands about your, your college student child. Or you wring your hands about uh, the pregnancy of a loved one. Or you wring your hands about what could go wrong in your life. That's worry. That's a sin. Being concerned is being concerned over the things that we can control. We can control. Listen, and I think another word for that would be focused. Focused. You're focused in on the things that you can control and you show some concern, you exert the effort to try to to, to handle those things the best you can. But uh, the book of Psalms talks about not letting your emotional state be that which is wearied or worried that you find that emotional rest. Letter C, notice relational rest. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. I've had many, many parents, through my time in the ministry, sit in my office and say to me, I love my children, but I cannot stand going home at night because I know the battle that will be on my hands when I get home. My children don't obey me, they don't listen to me, they wear me out. And oh, pastor, I love them, but I am tired of the battle on my hands. The wisest man ever to live said this, he said, if you correct your son, he'll give you rest. And to that, I would say this, there needs to be a system in your home of correction, there need to be consequences when the child does not obey. And they need to be administered first time, every time, before you get emotional. As a parent with two, two children myself, one that's seven and one that's six, let me say that we have a good time at home. Where, when they were little, there was a lot of correcting that went on. There were times where being a parent wasn't fun. We have gotten to a place now where I correct very little. Very, very little. When I tell my son to do something, he does it right away. When I tell my daughter to do something, she does it right away. And not every time, but most of the time. Why? Because we've corrected our children and they have given rest to our souls. Some of you here, your relational stress, your relational struggle, the unrest relationally you have has nothing to do with a small child at home. Might be a coworker, it might be an employer, might be some other relationship. And here's what I would tell you with that: You and God need to make sure that you are okay with that person that you're butting heads with. You need to make sure that everything in your heart, you've done everything in your heart to reconcile with that person. Let's see that. Let's say that uh, Brother Owens over here and I. Let's say that we had a problem with each other. We don't. We're good friends. But let's just say that we did, for sake of illustration. Let's say that Brother Owens just made up his mind. He didn't like me. It ought to be that I've gone to the Lord in prayer. And that um, I've confessed my part of where I've been wrong in our problems. And that I know that every time I see Jim over here, that my heart is clear and clean. And that if he were to come to me for reconciliation, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. You know what that does? That brings rest to your soul. It's now that every time I see Jim over here, there's no unrest. There's no unrest. Oh, there might still be a problem, but if there was that, if that was a scenario when he decides for reconciliation, we're ready for it. Relational rest. God wants you to dwell in that rest. Letter D. Notice spiritual rest. Spiritual rest. Look back at Hebrews chapter four with me in verse three. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3, the Bible says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now this is a verse that's heavy in doctrine about salvation. The idea here is that you can labor and labor and labor and labor all you want to try to gain favor with God, to try to gain salvation, but you cannot gain that favor with God. You cannot gain eternal life until you quit from your labor and you believe and through that belief you enter into His rest. Let me just say this morning that I labor hard for my Savior. I do. I give my soul and my heart. I wake up every morning and the purpose for my life on planet earth is to love the Lord with all my heart and to give my heart to His people here at White Oak Baptist Church. But I am not going to heaven because I labor for the Lord. I labor for the Lord because I have believed in Him and He has saved me and He has called me to that labor. And that labor is done out of a heart of love because of the work that was done on the cross. Where does spiritual rest come from? It comes when you cease from your labor. You cease from trying to earn salvation. And you believe with all your heart that Jesus came to this earth. God wrapped in flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a vicarious death. All that word vicarious means is He died in your place. And He arose from the dead. My friend, Jesus died for you. Notice there the Bible says at the end of the verse that it was finished from the foundation of the world. Before the world's foundation was ever laid, God committed His Son to go die on the cross for you. This is finished. You believe in that and you obtain rest. I look at a world around me and what I see is clamoring and pain and hurt really what I see are people who are restless. And the reason why they're restless is because they have not found Jesus Christ. They're not abiding in that rest of belief. Number four, and lastly, notice here, the place we find rest. The place we find rest. Can we look at a very familiar verse? Look down with me at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And as I read this verse, keep it in context of the chapter. The chapter is about finding rest. And so we've all heard this verse uh, quoted over and over and over again. Those of you that are regular churchgoers, But have you ever looked at it in the context of resting in God? It says there, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is that time of need? That's that time needed to rest. We run into the presence of God and we say, Lord, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm wore out. I need you. And God says, here's some grace. Here's some rest. We can come boldly. Lord, I'm I'm at my wit's end. I'm like Elijah. I've, I've run and I've run and I've run and I've run and I've run. And I'm out of gas. I'm out of energy. My problems seem insurmountable. No one wants to have anything to do with me. I feel like I'm all alone on an island. I don't know what to do. Run into the arms of God and find your rest there. Find your rest there. Go boldly. I think the beauty about the person of Jesus Christ is that he was 100% God while he was 100% man. Here's the beauty in that. Christ's flesh got tired. He grew weary. But when Jesus got tired... He knew where to go to find His rest. Where does the Bible tell us that Jesus went when He sent His disciples away? He went into the mountain to? To pray. Went to the mountain to pray. You know what He was doing? He was getting spiritual rest. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Physical rest plus spiritual rest equals emotional rest. Physical rest plus spiritual rest equals emotional rest. When someone comes to me and they're filled with anxiety and problems, and they just don't know where to go, I generally will ask them this question. How many hours of sleep are you getting at night? Because if you're physically exhausted, you're going to be emotionally a disaster. And if they will tell me Seven, eight, nine hours of sleep at night, I'll say, okay, why don't you tell me about your walk with the Lord? Generally, that's where they hang their head and they say, it's just not where it ought to be. You see, you can get all the sleep you want and be trying to do life on your own and be filled with anxiety. But when you start getting the sleep that's required, you start getting the rest there that you need, and then you start entering into the throne of grace and praying and talking to the Lord, and opening the Bible and walking with Him, God will give you that rest. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while praying? You see your hand. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while reading your Bible? My hand's up on that one. you ever feel guilty about that? you ever feel guilty about that? Now, I don't want to speak in the place of God. But can I tell you, if I was God, how I would feel about one of my children falling asleep? Let me draw a parallel here. Let's say that my son Matthew gets to be 14 or 15 years old, and let's say he's playing in a sports league, and he's working a job, 15, 16 years old, he's working a job, and he's trying his best to pull straight A's in school, and he's just exhausted. Let's say Matthew's sitting there at the dinner table, and I'm having a conversation with him, and right in the middle of a sentence, he falls asleep and his face lands in his food. How many think I'm going to be mad at him? Not a chance. You know what I'm going to feel? I'm going to feel pity. I'm going to pick him up. Well, he would probably be too big to pick up. I'm going to let him lay there with his face in his food, amen? I'm going to help him up and get him to his room and get him in bed. Sometimes the body fluid that's on your pages of your Bible, it's not tears, it's slobber. You know what I think? God looks down and says... I'd rather you fall asleep reading my Bible than falling asleep watching TV. I'd rather you fall asleep praying than fall asleep texting. Spiritual rest comes when we walk with God. Matthew chapter 11, if you turn there with me and we'll finish the sermon there this morning. We're doing really good on time this morning. I appreciate your patience and your uh, listening ear. Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty-eight and verses twenty-nine. The sermon today wouldn't be complete without going into this chapter and finding these verses and including them in the message. You see, this is Jesus Christ giving us instruction about rest. The Bible says there. Well, again, the the point of the message. The, the point we're under here is the place we find rest. Verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Rest unto your soul. How many here believe that God always, every time, keeps His promises? Amen? If you believe that, then God has to give you rest if you come unto Him. And you labor again when it's time to work work hard listen it ought to be said about those who attend this church when you're at work boy i ought to be able to walk up to your boss and say hey tell me about such and such wow he is the hardest worker i have no one puts more effort and more love and more care into what they do than if i could grab the ear of god and say hey tell me about such and such. She ought to say, no one rests better than, put your name there. Where they get to sleep they ought to, and their walk with me is sweet. It's sweet. I had a church member one time in a different ministry tell me, she said, uh, Pastor Richard, they called me Pastor Richard in my previous ministry. So, said, Pastor Richard, do you, know what, do you know the status of most people that commit crime, the mindset? And I said, no, tell me. They said, and this has been my studies and my experience. She said, it's when people are either tired or hungry or both. Tired or hungry or both. And I had really small children when they said that, and I stopped and I thought, my children misbehave the most when they're tired or hungry or both. You know, it could be that you can't seem to get victory over a particular sin in your life because you're just exhausted. You're just exhausted, either spiritually or physically. Could be you can't take that next step in your Christian life because you're just burning the candle at both ends. The sermon today isn't do less for the Lord. It's be more efficient with your time. With that said today, let me encourage you to find rest for your soul. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed.